Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Marlo's Conversations with Friends, topics around well-being. I am excited to be back again today talking about a really, really important topic uh, around diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equity. And before I get into that topic, to give a little parameter of what these conversations are about. Uh, conversations with friends, uh, for me, rotate around the well-being topics that I created as the foundation for my business, Cultivate You. And the three areas of well-being that I look to help people be stronger at is not only self, so mind-body-spirit connection, but well-being with their community how they're integrated with their community, how they support their community, and then well-being with the environment and how we support the Mother Earth. And so today's conversation is really about uh, how we are bringing well-being into our community, uh, how we integrate ourselves, how we support it, how we become more knowledgeable, how we uh, help move forward in a more cohesive manner. And my guest today is a friend I have become reconnected with, and it is Miss Janet Williams. And I was super delighted to be reconnected. We met, it has now been, oh, I think it's, it'll be seven years ago. We met on um, a trip to India for work that we had both done for the company we worked for. It was a, a reward trip. And uh, I was delighted when I met Janet then and delighted with her energy and vibe and graciousness. Uh, and I'm excited to that we have stayed connected via social media, um, but not necessarily been connected in this way and so I am honored very much so to have her here speaking and helping me um, around this topic of diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equity. So Janet, thank you very much for making time and bringing your knowledge, your experience, and um, wisdom to the table for this. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. It's such a pleasure to be here with you, Marlo. And it's been great for me to reconnect with you as well. You know, I was thinking about, you, you mentioned the India trip. And yes, it actually, it was seven years ago this month. Yeah, I know. No, November 2013. It's like, it's hard oh. to believe that that much time has passed. Isn't over. it? It feels like an eternity. Like it felt like so long ago and seven years is, is not that long ago. But to me, I'm like, God, that was, that's like a lifetime ago for me. <laughs> so much has happened. Absolutely. Um, so um, before we kind of dive into this conversation, I, I want to have you share a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, and I know we're going to dive deeper into it as we kind of go through this journey today. Talk to me, please, just or share with those that are listening um, the work that you do around. Um, uh, I've, I loved your um, anagram. Uh, I, I saw it in two different ways. So I saw it as Dieb, and then I saw it as 
um, Dibe, and I don't even know if I'm saying it correctly, but uh, diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equity, and your business of progressive discoveries. So if you could share. Yeah. Sure. Just to, in short, um, you know, a lot of things have happened for everyone in 2020. And for me, this has certainly been a year of transition in a number of ways. And um, through all of these experiences, what I recognize is that uh, it was a great, this year has become a great opportunity for me to live into my purpose and to really acknowledge what my true north is. And uh, it is having the conversations around diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging, um, whether it be at, inside or outside of work, but just in the world. I think mm -hmm. that we have a real need for, for unity, for healing, for better understanding, for cohesion, for inclusion. And um, so that's really what I'm working on and having those conversations within organizations, but also helping them to create the strategies that are going to get them to a place where diversity and inclusion especially uh, can flourish and live so that everyone has a voice and a place in various work environments. Yeah. So that's just a little bit of yeah, that, um, yeah. what I'm working on with that. And mm -hmm. I thought for today, if it's okay, and I know we talked a little bit um, when we reconnected, if we could, uh, in our conversation, maybe stay looking at it from just me, myself, and I, so to speak, yeah. keeping it on um, the personal level, and and where, and where we, where do I start? How do I embrace? How do I open my my vision even further to bring into scope all that we'll be discussing today, um, knowing that all these things that we talk about today are completely applicable in a workspace environment, though I know there's extra steps and parameters and all that, but I think, uh, I think they will all apply because we're all human beings, no matter if we're being at work or we're being ourselves within our own community space. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, there, there's certainly a good deal of crossover between what's going to happen in a work environment and what happens outside of work. I mean, for most people, mm -hmm. we are at, at our core, we're the same person, whether we're at work or, um, or at home, which is a, also a nice segue into the fact that that's not necessarily the case in how we show up for everyone, right? right? So for some people, they're not able to be their full self um, at work because of some type of block that might be going on there. But in, in talking about our personal lives, I think that for someone who has an interest in taking a look at these subjects, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a powerful exercise in which to engage. Mm -hmm. But I think that the first thing that someone would want to do is to break down some of the blocks that might exist for that, that person as an individual. For example, you know, I, when it comes to, especially when it comes to issues pertaining to things like diversity, mm -hmm. this pertains to everyone, no matter who we are, no matter what our background is, it has an impact, how it shows up in the world has an impact on everyone. So just recognizing that um, whether you're from a majority community or from a minority community, this applies to you. 
right? Mm -hmm. It's not someone else's issue. It's mm -hmm. everybody's issue. And if we're able to see ourselves in it, then it's easier for us to begin exploring um, and taking a look at some of the issues. The, uh, the other thing um, I think that would be really important for people is to recognize that, you know, it's not necessarily, a, it's not good or bad. It just kind of is as it pertains to us as individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that sometimes people, and I certainly see this with a lot of the people that I'm talking to of late, that people feel um, perhaps a, a little bit of apprehension or guilt or nervousness um, around having conversations or even doing any exploration as it pertains to issues related to diversity, such as, you know, sexual orientation or race or ethnicity or any of those topics, um, that they're nervous about taking a look at it. And I would say, just jump in right? You, there's no right or wrong way to go about doing it. Try to learn as much as you can mm -hmm. and um, to just learn to get closer to the topic through reading, through talking, through listening, and all of those exercises are really helpful. Um, one of the, um, well, I had a couple of things. I want to come back to uh, where you just kind of took us a little bit. Um, I actually want to see what your thoughts are around when we, this is taking us back. And um, so when we were in India, um, I was wondering, as I thought back on how we met in our journey and what that trip was about, which for those, just to give them a little parameter around it, um, there were 23 individuals of us at the company that we worked at. We, have, we were overachievers raising money for mm -hmm. Earth Month. And yep. we were awarded this trip graciously and it was fantastic, but you know, we put in hard work for it to raise money for our planet. So that's, you know, was the beauty. And so we all got to go over, we went to uh, Rishikesh was the final destination where we were and we were staying in the foothills of the Himalayas, which was a complete contrast to where we were going every single day um, to see work that the company had uh, put together in terms of water wells and schools and whatnot. And my curiosity was around us and we won't stay here in India very long, but I was curious to know then when you were there at all, were, did, did any of the themes of your work, because I know this was part of your previous, before you were in the, the salon and spa world, you had um, this type of work, diversity and inclusion and, and all of that was part of your early part of your career. When we were in India, did you feel any of the themes like, prominent oh, yeah. at all around? I mean, because I went into India with a very different kind of vision, uh, not uneducated in any way, uh, because I had been, I do my own work. I follow a lot of periodicals and information around the third world countries because of environmental factors. So, and my husband had just been to India as well. So I was well prepared for what was, what I was going to see, but what, what did you see in terms of 
Um, wow. So there's, there's so much. And there were, there were so many things that were powerful for me on that trip and so many things that stood out. Mm -hmm. um, and, but specifically as it pertains to this issue around inclusion and diversity and all of that, you know, I understood prior to going to India that there was um, a, a very powerful caste system that uh, was a part of their culture and that was in place. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really stood out for me on that trip was visiting the Gandhi Museum. And it was really, if you, you remember, that's how we started yeah. the trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that was yeah. intense. That was really intense. It was really intense. And um, I was mo really moved by a quote from Gandhi that um, that I saw at the time and it was called um, India of My Dreams. And I, and I think that when, as I read that quote, it matched in so many ways, part of my dreams for our country today, it resonated with me then and still resonates with me now. If you don't mind, I'd love to share that with you. Oh, please. Yeah, please do. So the quote is, um, I shall work for an India in which the poorest shall feel that it is their country in whose making they have an effective voice an India in which there shall be no high class and low class of people, an India in which all communities shall live in perfect harmony. There can be no room in such an India for the curse of untouchability or the curse of intoxicating drinks and drugs. Women will enjoy the same rights as men. We shall be at peace, at peace with the rest of the world. This is the India of my dreams. Mm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and so that was what, 1940? 50, 50s, 40s, 50s? Probably. I don't know the exact year of the quote, but it was probably in the 50s. Yeah. So, I mean, even right? then, right? Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, it's since then, and just recently, I read um, Isabel Wilkerson's book. It's called Cast, and it's an incredible mm -hmm. book. Mm -hmm. And then she's talking about this, the parallels between the caste system in India and some of the same type of systemic conditions that exist in this country that you can easily compare to a caste system. Sure. And sure. not not just in this country, but also in other countries in the world. You know, and she talks about Nazi Germany quite a bit. Um, but there's and a little bit about South Africa, but she's really focusing in on the United States in parallel to India. And some mm -hmm. of it is so, oh my God, heartbreakingly mind-blowing mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. to read. So in answer to your question, so that was a long answer to your question. No, that's what we're but, having. We're having an answer and we get to do whatever we want on this. So. That's very cool. So that was a huge standout for me. And then there, there was another. And the other had to do with us visiting the school. Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll uh, off recording, I'll tell you the story. <laughs> That I okay. at that school, but go, please share. Oh, okay. <laughs> because it's around well, my wait. name and I don't want to, well, I'll tell uh, it, okay. it, but it doesn't pertain necessarily. It's just comical. <laughs> no, so tell it. Then let's, right. let's have a laugh. All right. So uh, when we were at the school, um, you know, of course, I have to preface it for people who don't know what I look like. I'm 5'10". I'm very pale skinned. I'm German, Irish, Viking. And I have blonde hair and it was in a pompadour because that's just, it was the easiest way to keep it off my face. It was, I, I don't have to be bothered with it. So I stand out, needless to say. And um, at the school, 
I, the kids were just the most beautiful things I've ever, you know, they're mm -hmm. just adorable, you know, and there were tons of them and we were walking around, they were showing us all their artwork. And I asked a group of boys that stopped in front of me, you know, um, I said, uh, you know, what are your names? And they were sharing their names, like, what's yours? And I said, it's Marlo. And they started laughing. And I said, I said, why are they said, what is your name? And I said, it's Marlo. And they said, when they just kept giggling, I said, why are you laughing? And, and they kind of ran away. And so when we were getting ready to go, I stopped and talked to Submit, who was our guide there. He uh -huh, was yeah. I was like, mm -hmm. Submit, would you care to tell me why were the boys laughing at my name? And he kind of bowed his head and kind of hem-hawed. And I was, said, come on, seriously, just lay it on me. I can handle a lot of things. I've been called a lot of names. So please just tell me why are they laughing? They said, well, uh, you know, the meaning of your name has a couple of uh, <laughs> definitions. And I said, keep going. Come on, just keep going. <laughs> and he said, <laughs> he said, well, it means kind of like hit me. And I was like, you mean like hit me in the arm and he's like well kind of and I said please submit would you just be honest say it all it's not going <laughs> to offend me and he said no it's more like hit me like hey baby I'm available come and do me hit me and I was like oh <laughs> like <okay."> hit me up <laughs> yeah, like come on hit me up I was like okay great good to know that uh, maybe I should think about a different name here in India <laughs> <laughs> By then, by then, how many times had you introduced yourself? Exactly. To and then when we were leaving, the boys are like yelling up the hill. They were running up the hill to, to walk to the road. And they're like, oh, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> that is awesome. I know. That is, that's so awesome. So I, I love that, you know, frankly, going to that school, visiting that school was really a life-changing moment for mm -hmm. me mm -hmm. because it really... Uh, it brought all of all of my different worlds converged mm -hmm. in being there, mm -hmm. right? Because I think that sometimes when people are engaging in altruistic activities of any sort, it's sometimes it's in a bit of a vacuum, right? Because you're not really seeing how the efforts that you're engaging in are really tied to an important outcome, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so that was my first response in working in walking on the campus of that school. It's like, wow, this is what all that money we raised contributed to. Mm -hmm. But then I had much deeper um, revelations from that visit because, you know, as I was seeing how what a difference it made for that entire community for them to have access to clean water mm -hmm. but specific and then for them to then be able to build a school as a result of having that running water mm -hmm. but even more importantly you know I don't know if you remember this but their plans were ultimately at the time we went they had one uh, restroom which they were very proud of yes and it was it's so exciting to see how excited they were about that one restroom with the running water and the working toilets and all of that but then the plan was to buy an additional one so that the just for the girls mm -hmm. and they knew that that would make a huge difference in those girls lives because some of them wouldn't go to school if they were you know on their monthly or that kind of thing yeah and that provided that opportunity for them to be able to do that. So all of that is to say, um, I think that it was just so incredible to see um, 
how, first of all, how much we take for granted mm-hmm. and, you know, and how much privilege that we are, um, that, that we benefit from. Yeah. Um, and to see how these, these small incremental changes can make huge differences in the lives of people um, all over the world if we're just kind of operating with intention. So it had a, a huge, huge impact on me. Yeah, I mean, for me too, uh, and I'll, I'll have to bring it up in a different day, conversation around environment, uh, mm-hmm. just that itself. And I really don't want to dive, you know, grass over, over into that, but it was just mind blowing to me. And I, I knew going into mm-hmm. it, I already knew what was going to happen. And I already, because I have done, had already done and known about and so much about them, but to see it firsthand it was just so painful for me and um and to know that that the caste system that you brought up earlier is so it is just so a part of that way of life even though thankfully uh, it's 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 getting disrupted i don't know how great it's going to change but it is getting disrupted but that caste system um, I think term is samskara, uh, which is, uh, as Sumit explained to me, was that it's their, it's just their way of, they know that this is their way of life, that this is their place in life. And that even, you know, you can educate them and they might change for a little while, but that they will always just fall back into this original place that they started because that is that is how the system has been set up and that is how they've been placed. And it, you know, you can see it in the, um, some of the other stories around um, when they do their funeral pyres and it's down in the town, if I can't think of the name, I wanna say Varirasana. Var- Var- uh, it's on, a, on one of the main rivers, not the Ganges, but um, one of the others uh, where they take their their deceased members and that that the caste system just within that operation right there there's a whole hierarchy and it's it's the job there is is considered such a low level unwanted position but yet even within that the caste system that lives and it's just it's um it's sad because it is, as you said, you know, and that's why I kind of brought it up. And, and that's where I'm going to lead to next as we kind of move into your work here is when you look across our country and you look at the inequity um, and uh, the, the type of caste system we have, we wouldn't, we don't use that term here, but it is, it is here. It is very prevalent here, I feel. And, oh, absolutely. Um, I, I guess I kind of wanted to start, uh, I wanted to dive in a little bit um, and ask you, I loved, um, and I want you to share, um, defining for me um, your formula, uh, which you provided around um, what diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equity is. Um, and then I want to, kind of have you dissect for us you started to a little bit before but um how do we 
what are the concerns that diversity and some of it and its branches um, that hinder our well-being? What are what are some of them that people get um, that we need to break down, I guess, or defining what they are so we understand how to start breaking them down? Um, sure, sure. Yeah. Okay, so why don't we just kind of start by doing a little bit of a DIBE primer. And I okay. think that that might um, help just so that we're all, we have the same frame of reference around this. So when, when we're talking about diversity and just as a, it, it's such, it's a, it's a complex topic, but not so much so. I can talk about a primary, secondary, and kind of a tertiary distinction that will help everyone. So if we're talking about primary and secondary um, dimensions of diversity, then there really are, it, it's really about differences mm -hmm. in people by dimension. So pr primary dimensions of diversity would be things that are inherent in people that they can't change or that would be extremely difficult to change. Things mm -hmm. like their race, ethnicity, gender, age, ability, status, sexual orientation, those would all be kind of these primary um, identity markers, uh, distinctions of diversity about people. And then there are secondary ones, such as things that, that can be changed, but we don't necessarily need to, but education level, you know, geographic location, income, politics, you know, all those things, marital status, military experience, parental status, religion, their work experience, that sort of thing. Those would be secondary. But then there's another element around diversity that people don't necessarily consider so much that's beyond just identity, which are those first two that I spoke to, and that would be cognitive, right? Mm. And a cognitive, the cognitive uh, area of diversity had, pertains to differences in what we think, what we know, and how we process information. So there's some scholars today that think that it's more beneficial to focus on cognitive diversity rather than identity diversity, but I really disagree with that. I think it's important to take both into consideration in addressing diversity because um, they're both important and a, a really significant piece around all of this has to do with representation, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about, oh, well, um, we're in a room and everyone in the room is the, is the same race, but it's a very diverse group of people because they all have different backgrounds and levels of education and that sort of thing. And those pieces are important, but having representation around various dimensions around identity is also really important because that's where you start to move into true diversity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, true diversity is, is honoring the contributions of all people, and it recognizes that valuing differences makes us more effective, more innovative, more empathetic, and more interesting, mm -hmm. certainly. But I think that people are challenged by this idea around um, true diversity because it's easier to accept um, homogeneity, right? Mm -hmm. It's easier when everyone that's in our sphere is similar, right? Mm -hmm. it's, and it's much easier to, pe to preach to the choir and to be surrounded by people who look and who basically think the same way that we do. Mm 
Right. But, you know, the important thing to question around that is, you know, what are we missing when that's our experience? Yeah. Would you you say that um, uh, just in that statement, you know, what do we miss when we're not, you know, fully seeing or fully aware? Would you consider that um, a, a, like a knowledge block and um, does it, um, what, how does it, I I wanted to have a little more understanding around the, one of the blocks you list is individualism, um, Mm -hmm. which you list as, I'm just going to read from the quote that you provided, which is by Robin D'Angelo of White, from White Fragility. She wrote a book called White Fragility, which really speaks to this. And actually I can, I can share that. I mean, I'm fine talking about, basically individualism is, is, and the quote says, it's a storyline that creates, communicates, reproduces, and reinforces the concept that each of us is un- a unique individual and that our group memberships, such as race, class, or gender, are irrelevant to our opportunity. So really, that ties into the kind of mindset of, like, this doesn't relate to me block. Okay. But it's the concept that systemic, structural conditions in society and in our history of discrimination and disenfranchisement don't exist. Hmm. Like this is not really happening or okay. that it no no longer exists. Like mm-hmm. this used to be a problem, but it's not anymore. That right. now the playing field is equal for everyone now and everyone can just pull themselves up by their bootstraps, right? That's what individualism is about. And certainly there is um, there is a place for that, but if that's really where our mindset is, it's very hard for us to then accept that there are other pieces at play that hinder people from having um, an equal experience in life, if that makes sense. Yeah, do you find that, uh, and I, this is my perception, especially with, uh, I, I've had it for a long time, but all of the events that have happened this year uh, certainly make it from have made this perception really come full right up to the front. Um, as I think COVID did a lot for that for everyone, bringing all of the shadows that you were able to suppress and just barfed them on the table, as I say, and you can't mm-hmm. avoid them. So one of the things. Would would you say that, or do you find that people are almost, you know, the saying is ignorance is bliss, and so I say that in what I what I feel or or how I hear in conversations and my perception of events is that it's almost like people in our communities don't want to acknowledge what our history is what how this country actually got started right the progression of events not just from slavery but pretty much the the complete wipeout of an entire culture who was living here yeah <laughs> native americans you know and absolutely and on, on, on. Uh-huh. Uh, so i kind of yeah. feel like people just like you kind of mentioned earlier like well that happened then that's not what's happening now but yet it's almost like this egg this this willingness to choose not to 
even bother to look at it like well that's in a closet over there and I don't need to open that storage closet anymore because it doesn't it doesn't matter as you said well you know what it's it's really interesting about that that point that you make because that in a lot of ways speaks to in in a big way speaks to what privilege is all about because Mm -hmm. some some there are certain people right in the majority populations Mm -hmm. that have the luxury of making a choice about taking a look at these issues, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or kind of like wearing a jacket where you can put it on or take it off at will. So Mm -hmm. if I'm in, for example, um, someone is uh, in an environment where uh, people are politically opposed to them or um, have different feelings about the importance of dealing or talking about these issues, they can just easily choose not to or acquiesce to what everybody else is talking about and mm-hmm. not have to deal with it. But for people like me, other marginalized or underrepresented or BIPOC people, mm-hmm. these are issues that we live with and face every single day. Right. You know, that they're coming, they come up all the time. They're, it's always, it's omnipresent. And it's not something that you can just kind of take on and off like a jacket. Right, right. And mm-hmm. so, you know, as, um, you know, you said earlier, you know, for someone just like working through everything that's happened this year and so many people I know have turned to the um, BIPOC community to say, hey, you know, and I'm speaking from a white person to a person of color mm-hmm saying, you know, what resources should I be going to? What should I do? How do I get started? And, and the response is, you got to do the work. Oh, I can't help you. You know, this person of color is like, you know, I don't know how to help you. It's nice that you are finally waking up and <laughs> go do your reading or go learn about history or open your heart a little bit more, uh, take the blinders off. Um, is, um, is there, you know, and you said to just kind of jump in and for me, you know, I certainly have done plenty of work around this and have plenty of work still left to do, but I, I know in my heart every day, my mantra has been to be accepting of all individuals because that's just the way life is for me. Um, that's just what I believe. And mm-hmm. um I, no one person for me is better than the other. And uh, I don't care if you're polka dotted in front of me or a Martian from another planet or, you know, from Mozambique, it doesn't matter to me. We are equal. We all have the same body parts. We all have the same gig going on. And, you know, what sets us apart is the path in life that the universe gave you. And it's my, I feel it's my responsibility uh, to find a way to help people be more open and welcome, welcoming and understanding and compassionate and have empathy for the world around us. Sure. So if so, in order for that piece to happen, and, and I love that, that you feel that way. I think a lot of people feel that way, which is, is great. And it's a start, right? Yeah. But the way for that to happen, I think it has to translate into a behavior that comes from people, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's more than just wanting that yeah. 
everyone is going to be accepting of everyone else and that the empathy is automatically going to be there. And some of the pieces that you spoke to around doing the work, I think that, that is absolutely on point, that there is work to be done. And the first step is in recognizing that there is work to be done. Mm -hmm. But then there's some other things to consider too. I mean, just as we're talking about, you know, what happens in our social lives outside of work, you know, what I always think about is this whole thing about having parties, right? Mm -hmm. I love parties and my wife and I are known for throwing really great parties. And mm -hmm. part of what makes them so much fun is that we always mix them up and we invite a very diverse group of friends. Mm -hmm. And so I think I might've mentioned to you that we got, we were married two years ago after mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. having been together for, I don't know, 20 years now. Right. Yeah. But our, our wedding is a great example of that because our guests were family and friends, black, white, Asian, Latinx, from all types of religious groups, age ranges, sexual orientations from all over the country. Mm -hmm. It was really culturally rich and diverse. Mm -hmm. And everybody danced and laughed and had a great time together. And afterwards, everyone was like, oh my God, that was like the best wedding ever. And they all had an amazing time. But what really stood out for me, and I, mean, I, I am going somewhere with this, but what stood out for me more than anything was that many of the people that met at our wedding that weekend turned their acquaintances into friendships. Mm. And so, you know, that's kind of where I'm going with this in that one of the things, I think the, one of the most important things that we can all do is to give ourselves a break, A, but B, do the work to really genuinely, authentically get to know people that are different from ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I, I ventured, I wonder how many people are just living in their own bubble of, you know, interacting with the same people all the time. Oh yeah. You know, living in their bubble of a neighborhood where all the, their friends are just like them, mm -hmm. um, never really genuinely knowing someone who's different and having, you know, especially as it pertains to race, having the only um, perceptions that they have of black people or uh, Latinx people or Asian people be based on the images that are presented to them in the media, which mm -hmm. we all know that's most of the time such a false narrative. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having an opportunity to genuinely become friends with someone who's outside of our in-groups is a very helpful exercise when you start to get to see people for who they genuinely are. Yeah, and I think what you brought up the dinner, I wrote that down. It was one of the mm -hmm. things you you pointed out was uh, Verna Myers. Yeah, Verna 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 Myers. Bernay. Yeah, she talks she talks about that, this the, having the, dinner, the, dinner party. Yeah, and I'm a dinner and, party person as well. Uh -huh. And people love that about uh, us, my husband and I, and because we love to cook and stuff. And we always do think about well, yeah, who's going to get along with who? But I always we always think about like. Well, you know, it's more about an energy for me. I'm like, it doesn't matter how di different their paths are. I don't need them to be alike. I just want them to uh, mix it up and, and force people to have to have these conversations with someone that you might not have gone out of your way to. And, and it's what's been interesting over time is there's been certain people that we've invited who will not venture out from you know, if, if there's another like person at the table that they're comfortable with, they won't venture out of that little huddle. 
and yet everybody else is, you know, doing their thing. And I um, think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think maybe uh, a simple way to get people to feel a little bit more comfortable uh, opening themselves and understanding and putting themselves in the presence of diversity is to volunteer in your community for, could be a food pantry, could be a garden, you know, co-op, could be whatever, could be a group for, you know, for sheltered family members or whatever. But I think that could allow people, it's a great step to put yourself in the world of full-on diversity, I think, especially um, uh, t- most of them tend to be economically that you're going to, to see that up front, but you will also see all the levels of some of the other types of diversity. Um. So, so Marlo, can I just say, you know, the first, th- the first thing that came to mind as you were talking, and, and I want to be careful about how I present this, because I think that certainly there is a need for volunteerism, for people to participate mm-hmm. and to be of service and of help and to make contributions mm-hmm. in society, in the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. But I think that perhaps part of the issues that we struggle with is that there is a perception of um, certain groups being lesser than our group might be. Sure. Right? So. I think that it's also it's important, although as we're doing volunteerism and that kind of thing, if we're from a, um, a, have a certain position in life, it's also good to find peers that are diverse, people yeah. that have a similar experience to us from a similar socioeconomic background to us and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Because when it's a situation where, yes, I'm going to volunteer at a food bank, I may not necessarily encounter peers who are diverse that are like me, but maybe some of the people that I'm serving are going to be diverse. And the the yeah, I understand what you're saying. Totally, I get. I I agree yeah. fully. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense completely. So I think that that is not. So if our so it depends on what the objective is, right? So if the yeah. objective is to just to be in a place where we are able to make a contribution and help people who are, you know in underrepresented groups who are disenfranchised, that's one thing, but if it's really about understanding that uh, it's that it's not a hierarchical um, scenario that, mm, no. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, I fully get that now. Okay. As you position it. No, that may, and that makes sense. Thank you for clarifying that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanna uh, look at a couple of, um, you gave me a great glossary, one of those documents from the diversity gap team, and I just, wrote down a handful that for me, I thought would be important to define. Um, one is you, you created this one, SAE, Subtle Acts of Exclusion. Actually, I did not include, oh. I did not create that, but I'll okay. tell you where it comes from. Okay. Um, I use it all the time because I think that everybody can certainly relate to this term and it can apply to everyone. Mm-hmm. But subtle acts of exclusion are ways in which we keep each other out, basically. Mm-hmm. So another more familiar term for this is microaggression. Oh, okay, got it. Okay. Right, so D- Dr. T- T- Tiffany Jana, and she has three 
books out and she she has books that are in collaboration with other scholars, but she has three books out and, and one of her books, the most recent one is called Subtle Acts of Exclusion. So that's where it comes from. And I want to make sure that I give her full credit, mm -hmm. but she writes about this in, in her book. And basically she says that subtle acts of um, exclusion are subtle, confusing, insidious things that people say and do that end up excluding people with marginalized identities. Mm. This happens even though for the most part, people are not intending to exclude others at all. So it's a, it's very similar to microaggression, but not as, uh, I think so maybe it just it doesn't sting as much as that term might. Mm -hmm. I mean, but the point of it is that if we want to foster more inclusive environments where people have a sense of true respect and collaboration and belonging, then it's worthwhile to take a look at that to talk about, you know, different ways in which we might be excluding people without recognizing it. Got it. Um, and I can give you, I mean, I have so many examples from my life that kind of point to that. And I certainly don't consider myself to be any type of victim, but people sometimes say things without recognizing the impact that they, they have on you. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, yeah. please share an example. I just, I know in, in my work of training people, the type mm -hmm. of education and training that I did in particular, um, building relationships, consumer uh, interactions, and then just value-based integrity, personal legacy work. Uh -huh. It is all about, you know, to, to super simplify it. It's like to think before you speak and to uh, act with integrity, which means your actions and your intentions should be aligned. And too often we don't think before we speak uh, and I am super simplifying it. Um, yeah, and I, and I think that sometimes it's it's those things that people say to you that are that perhaps are meant to be compliments, but they really aren't. Something uh, this is something that people used to say to me all the time, especially in, more in work environments. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, you're so articulate, Janet. Mm. So that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Now. So what that speaks to, to me, especially since I've done um, so much research and so much study on this, at the times when people would say that, and by the way, that is a subtle act of exclusion, mm -hmm. but, or a microaggression, at the time that people would say it, I really, it would annoy me, but I didn't get the full context of what it really pointed to, which is that it was about exceptionalism. In other mm -hmm. words, you're so different than, you're an exception from other Black people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've actually had people say to me, oh, you, I don't consider you as Black. Well, well why, why the hell not? Because I most certainly am. Yeah. You know, the implication being that you're not like them. Right. You're more like us. I can relate to you more. Sure. So, you know, that sort of thing. And, and frankly, that sort of comment is really not that subtle. <laughs> no. that, that, that comment is pretty aggressive, actually. But uh, it, that sort of thing comes up. Uh, it comes. It used to come up quite a bit. Other things that are a, a little softer tend to come up more often for me these days. Hmm. You know, I had a comment not too long ago where someone said, uh, "What was the term that they used?" Um, it was, "Oh, you're so intimidating." Oh, I get that. I, I get that myself. 
And it, of course it was from a man. Well, you know, you're intimidating, right? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. I mean, what? <laughs> right. I mean, right. What, what does that mean, really? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, are you expecting me to cower? I mean, what, what, what does that mean? Am I supposed to pretend that I don't know what I know? Right. It, yeah, I that's know. that's the yeah, total I, act of exclusion. Yeah, because then it because then it makes you question. Wow, do I need to tone tone myself down to appease others so yeah. that they don't feel threatened in any way by just the fact that I exist? Right. Or is it okay for me to, after living all this life and doing all this? work and spending all this time it should be okay that I can share that with with assuredness with confidence I worked really hard to get to this place right yeah and that should be okay but you know now in order to be accepted to be included do I have to tone all of that down so that you can feel more comfortable right and I uh I get the same kind of comments Mm -hmm. Uh, just in being a woman, you know. Just Absolutely. Because I'm a woman and I walk in the room and That's I, right. I walk in with confidence and, That's right. you know, I look like a, a, a tall tower and that's fine. I, there's nothing well, you are, but you, but you are 5'10 and you do look like you're straight off a runway. I don't <laughs> care how disheveled you think you are. And I, <laughs> and I think that that is amazing. And that's what the, that was my first, first impression of you when I saw you, I said, Oh my God, she's amazing. Oh. I just, I fell in love with you absolutely immediately. <laughs> Thank you. Because not everybody, but that, you know, to your point of that subtle act of exclusion, not everybody sees it that way, you know. And I, I remember, I've said it for years when I, again, when I'm teaching people how to become public educators and public trainers and public speakers, et cetera. And we talk about, your body language and and what comes out of your mouth and your tone and your facial gestures and all that. And I will have always said to them, I said, I'm well aware that I scare the shit out of all of you from, I don't even have to open my mouth. I walk in the door, I greet you and you're petrified. Mm -hmm. And I have to go out of my way to make you feel comfortable. comfortable. Yes. being in this presence of which I'm just sharing my energy and yes uh yeah I mean every class I go through that you know because they're this perception of well she looks like she's a bitch and right I haven't oh even had anything you know? right it's, oh Jesus. my god yes right I know I know exactly what you're talking about so can I share a story please so I, I, I had mentioned to you um, when we last spoke that my career started in di- doing diversity work. And so I worked for a, this little boutique um, consulting firm focused on diversity and inclusion. And this was many years ago, but I was on this contract for a very large oil and gas company and they decided that it was a great idea to um, engage in uh, mandatory diversity training for all 60,000 of their employees. And they were located all over the United States. 
um, and with a focus in, you know, on the Gulf and in, you know, areas where there were water, where there was water. And so I was one of the, the lead trainers on this engagement. And this is again, this is many more than 20 years ago. Uh, so here I am, and I would do these programs, and there would be maybe 40 employees in these classes. And most of them were coming in, they would drag these guys, these huge stevedores, you know, they're seven feet tall and weigh 300 pounds, and they're dragging them in off some oil well to come in and participate in this full day mandatory diversity training course. And so now I'm the first person that they see. So let's just say that it didn't go over well (laughs) <laughs> when they walk through the door much of the time. And people sometimes, these guys sometimes would be so rude to me. I mean, it was unbelievable how rude they would be. And one guy in this this class was taking place in New York. It was in Manhattan. And the guy walks in and he takes one look at me and he says, well, if I'd known you were teaching this class, you know, I would have brought my sunglasses and a pillow. Oh, Yes, that's what he said. Burn, right? Oh, wow. (laughs) That's what he said to me. So what I said to him, so I smiled and I said, oh, so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for that. I said, you know what, though, but by the end of the day, you're going to eat those words. And so what I, that, that experience of um, talking about such a difficult subject to a group of the most unwilling participants you ever, ever want to encounter in your life because Mm -hmm. they were really ready to cut me off at the knees no matter what I said, how Mm -hmm. I said it, how friendly I was and all of that. It really taught me a lot about people though. Mm -hmm. And it really taught me how to meet people where they are and Mm -hmm. to kind of help them move to where I kind of needed them to be a little bit. In, in a way that it's not a threat for them because mm-hmm. I knew going in, I, I knew, I didn't know it before having had that, that professional experience, but once I had it and as I was going through it, I knew that people were feeling that, oh, she's intimidating. Oh, she's to this or to that. And she's this black woman and she's going to blame me or make me feel bad or any of those things. And it wasn't about that at all. You know, mm-hmm. I would really be able to have a good time with them, get them on my side. And that same guy who said that he wished he had a, you know, sunglasses and a pillow mm-hmm. came to me at the end of the class and he apologized and said, you know, I was very rude to you and I'm sorry that I was acting like that. And I really did get a lot out of this. And that tended to be more of the experience that I would have with that group. That engagement lasted about three years. Wow. Um, and it was, I mean, it was exhausting. It was very, very stressful because it was day, it would be five days in a row of having these really intense conversations. But I learned so much about myself and about people from that experience. So wow. it was that, a good thing. That's a great, I mean, it just, it goes to show you that people people can change when they allow themselves even mm-hmm. just a micro percent of openness. That's um, right. And I, I want you to, cause uh, I have a couple more definitions that I want you to talk about. One, one is equity, um, the fair treatment. And for me, it was the freedom of bias, harassment and discrimination. But I wanted to ask you for my own benefit, um, equity versus equality 
and those differences and yeah Let, let's talk let's stop on that one first though yeah i'm so i, I want to give you um an analogy i think it's much easier for people to under, understand okay. this way because this is a tricky concept but yeah. But think of it this way. So going back to that party example of mm -hmm. having a party. So if I had a party and the only and invited all these people, different types of people from all different types of backgrounds, mm -hmm. let's say even if we had done that for our wedding, which we didn't. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that we served was pizza, mm -hmm. right? Now, the question would be, well, is that equal, is, is equality in place there? Because everybody's getting pizza, right? Everybody's being treated exactly the same. And that's what equality is about. There's, you know, technically there's no discrimination in that. We're giving everybody pizza. Mm -hmm. But the question is, does that really serve the needs of all people, all the people that are there? So this is where equity comes into play because mm -hmm. if I wanted to provide a more equitable experience at that party, then I would have lots of different types of food mm -hmm. that could meet the needs of all the people that are there um, that's informed by their differences and it helps to advance their experience at that party. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think one of the, what I wrote down was do you, do you want both? Can we have both? Or is it more important to have equity because you are now meeting the needs of everyone? You don't have your free, you're to, I'm using your words, freedom of bias, harassment, and discrimination. So are you- Right. So I, I think that it depends on the situation. I think that both can work, but, but what's more important is that there is a, a true understanding of the difference between the two and that they're applied appropriately. Okay. That Got makes it. sense. Yep, yep. You know, because in certain situations, I mean, for instance, if, you know, going back to a business example, I know that we're talking about really what happens in all yep. of life, but, but in a, in a business scenario, there's certain things where, yes, you have to use both. For instance, if you're writing, um, you know, general personnel policies, yeah, there has to be um, equality in place there in that there are certain standards that are going to apply to everyone and pretty much unilaterally, but there still has to be equity built in that you're recognizing that people are bringing different experiences, bringing different backgrounds and bringing different needs to the table that would need to be addressed for those individuals. Got it. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, it totally does. Um, color mm. blindness was another one of the terms. Oh yeah, you asked. <laughs> I kind of, oh golly. So this one we, is kind of, Well, yeah. before you define it, one mm. I wrote this down and I, I for myself, I, I wasn't, I didn't know how to quite articulate what I wanted to ask. So this might not mm -hmm. make sense, but I said, is this is colorblindness something that is part of embracing the diversity, inclusivity, um, equity, and belonging? Is it is it something that you want? Is that a is that a good trait to have, um, or no. is it yeah? No, right. I so, don't think so. right. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a little bit of a historical context around this concept of colorblindness, just to give get people off the hook. So um, actually, Robin D'Angelo talks about this in her book, and what she's talking about in regard to this was this whole, um, the speech that Martin Luther King made around 
um, wanting to be seen for the content of his character rather than the color of his skin, mm-hmm. which of course we all want to be. And I'm not in any way negating that. I think that that is very, very important that we're able to look at people for who they are and what they're contributing and, and you know what is wonderful and special and unique about them. Mm-hmm. But that is not to say to not pretend that you notice that I'm black, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, in fact, you know, pretending not to see what's obvious is not helpful for anyone. And I get that in saying that one is colorblind, that for most, what they mean is that your color or your difference doesn't matter to them. And I think that's great, Mm -hmm. but it's far better to demonstrate that through behaviors and through equitable treatment. Mm. Pretend, you know, pretending that color doesn't exist is akin to saying that this very significant part of someone's identity isn't important and that everybody is the same and everybody isn't the same. We can celebrate our difference. It's great. It's perfectly fine to acknowledge that someone's color does exist Mm -hmm. and that it's an important part of their identity. And you're going to go a lot further because when, you know, I, I kind of spoke to that a little bit earlier when people used to say things to me like, oh, well, I don't see you as black. I mean, frankly, the way that that comes across is insulting. Mm-hmm. Because what is wrong with you seeing me as black? I am black. I'm very mm-hmm. proud of being black. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I've accomplished a lot being a black person and most black people do as well. There's nothing wrong with seeing me uh, as black because that's mm-hmm. who I am. Right. You know, and the minute that we start talking about not seeing that or pretending that we're not seeing it or not talking about it, not acknowledging it, we're sending a message, especially to our children, that there's something wrong with it. Right. No, like don't talk about that. There's something wrong, you know, there's something to be ashamed of around that. Right. And it's kind of, I mean, this is a poor, poor example, but it just popped into my head as it related to me was my height. And so often uh, I have scoliosis. I wore a back brace. I got diagnosed when I was like 13. I wore a back brace for two full years, almost okay, three yeah. in high school and it was sucked mm-hmm. and whatever. But my point is that um, when I see people who are tall or their stature, and it has to do with because of um, their heritage, you know, there's just certain cultures that are tend to be taller. And mm-hmm. when I see that and people cower from they, they cower, they like hide their height. You know, I see their shoulders curling forward and they, and they don't, it's almost like you, you, they're hiding their power and I, it drives me cuckoo. Um, and it's a very, like I said, it's a poor example, but it's that be proud of I am proud of going, yes, I am tall. I'm sorry that I'm mm-hmm. a foot taller than you. What do you want me to do about it? I'm sorry that I'm a woman. I'm sorry, you know, I'm not, well, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. Right. I'm sorry, not sorry, right. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I can't, it's part of what makes me different. It's part of what makes me unique. It's part of, of the beauty of who I am. Get used to it, you know. Right, exactly, of, yeah. of course. Um, okay, so one of the other words that I... Um, I didn't mean, did I cut you off? Do you have one more? Did you have a thought? No, no, I was really just underscoring what you said. I mean, I think that it's, we should all be able to stand up and stand in our, you know, in our self, Mm -hmm. our our selfness, right? Mm -hmm. This is who we are. And Mm -hmm. and please, if I think that what's more important is for those people that are saying that are so perhaps threatened by that to really take a look at why that is. What is it 
about the tall, the tall woman. Although I have to say, Marlo, though, that your hair adds five inches. Well, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know that, you know. And then I decided to wear like a platform shoe of some kind. Right. <laughs> I know. Which brings me, yeah. Um, what's something that you just said? Um, well, I want to, I'm going to come to that as we bring a wrap to our conversation in, a, in sure. just a little bit. One of the other glossary words you gave or that was provided in this, doc, this diversity gap uh, document was assimilation. Yeah. And so I want you to talk about it. And again, I, what I wrote down, and again, I didn't know how to properly articulate it sure but was um what are the thoughts you know because when i think of assimilation and sadly uh one of the what i think of like um just get in line just do what you're told just do what everybody else is doing don't cause a ruckus just you know this assimilate kind of thing yeah so i would say that uh i have and i don't like that i don't like that you know good 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 it's very similar feelings to how i feel about colorblindness you know it it requires that i or anyone blend in with the dominant culture not make waves Mm -hmm. not not show up with difference um you know in work environments this is how many bipoc especially have to get along right Mm -hmm. but more inclusive environments recognize that an expectation of assimilation from people from underrepresented communities, from BIPOC people, from tall people, right? May men render those individuals invisible and hinder their experience. And this is the, you know, assimilation really is the antithesis of inclusion. Okay. It really is the, uh, uh, the opposite of that because it's very hard when people are feeling as if they're, they're having to code switch. Are you familiar with that, that uh, term? Sort of. Right. So code switching is sort of like a simul- it's it's assimilation, right? Where you are hiding or not really being fully self-expressed in your environment for fear of not fitting in. Okay. You know, for fear of offending people. So as for me also I think I'm like the poster child for intersectionality as a black gay woman of a certain age. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, for me where and, there, and there's there's some instances where you, you you can't code switch for instance no matter how i show up i'm going to show up as a black person even though people say things like i don't see you as black which is ridiculous right. but you know a way that that could have shown up for me in my past is to not ever discuss my personal life for fear of having to out myself and then have people react in a negative way. Mm -hmm. So I certainly have been in environments where I had the urge to not ever discuss, instead of pretending to be straight, which is not not something I would ever do. Instead, Mm -hmm. I might've just not engaged in conversations about my personal life at all. Whereas everyone else is talking about theirs, you know? Um, So certain, so I, I definitely believe that, um, having to assimilate in that way is something that really hinders people's well-being in any type of environment. Yeah. Um, And do you think that people who aren't embracing diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging really use, like, highly embrace assimilation across both their personal and community and work channels? 
I think that there's a tent there could easily be a tendency for that yes mm -hmm. and and here's again you know kind of ties back into what it what I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation about these homogeneous environments that are much easier Mm -hmm. you know, when people just go along to get along, mm -hmm. when they assimilate into the environment where they are and they just kind of go along with the status quo. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that, you know, especially at work that you, we have to collaborate, we have to be able to work together and all of that. I'm not suggesting that that's not the case at all, right. but the expectation that people are just going to go along so that they fit in. Um, is one that forces assimilation. And I don't think that it works for people's well-being. I had a conversation with, um, with a colleague recently where they were talking about not being able to, um, that they were hiring uh, diverse candidates, let's put it that way. And they were not able, they, but they never stay. Mm -hmm. And that was the first thing that, I, that came to mind when that person said that to me, is that, Perhaps the reason why that person is not staying is because that environment is is not one where they feel a sense of belonging or even mm. inclusion. Mm. You know, they they are not feeling welcome there, and they are having difficulty assimilating, or they're having to assimilate in such a way that it is not helpful for them. That they sure. are they're, they're struggling with it. They're yeah. stressed out from being in that environment. Yeah, that makes sense. So I wanted to um, start to bring our conversation to uh, close, but I, I want to, one of the thoughts that I felt was important to help people, um, why I did this conversation, um, and I took from your notes, was kind of a, a place to start, was the being intentional. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, for me, I teach people to start their day by setting their intention for the day yeah of whatever it is you need to focus on but uh i i think it comes back to what you said very early in the conversation which was you know to jump in and just just start somewhere but i think being intentional with what you're doing and truly um, from my perspective aligning yourself and serving from a place of love when you are being intentional in this and that you said to give ourselves give yourself a break which i think is important but i wrote down also that um, you know working on diversity inclusion belonging and equity this is a practice it's not just a one-off that's right. To work past denial, fear, and I want to come back to that one because I want to talk about what are the roots. Um, being courageous, you stated, people are more alike than different, which I find in, in all situations when we just sit down and, and can have a conversation, we realize that we are more alike than we are different when we allow ourselves to be open to the experience that's in front of us. Um, and then taking responsibility. Um, I also did write down the dinner for 10 people because I want people to think about that. But in these handful of actions, can you share with me um, your thoughts on it? And, and is this a good place? I'm, I'm assuming because I took it from your staff. Is this a good place for people to start beginning? I think so. I think that, but the very first place 
starts with, you know, with ourselves, within mm-hmm, ourselves mm-hmm, and to, mm-hmm. to really challenge ourselves around what our mindset is, mm-hmm. right? How do I really feel about these issues and be honest with yourself? Mm-hmm. And so when I was talking about taking responsibility for your feelings, no matter what they are, right? So mm-hmm. wherever you are, because I, I always look at life as this crazy roller coaster ride, right? Mm-hmm. Hands up on the roller coaster ride. Wherever you are, that's where you are and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Just know that you want to make it to the end of the ride and think about how you want to show up by the time you get to the end of that ride. Mm-hmm. So recognizing that, you know, that you might have some issues with bias, that you might have some issues with fear, you have some issues with unknowing, you don't know, you don't have anyone in your, your circle that's really significantly different than you, that's from a different race, mm-hmm. a different religious background, ethnicity, different sexual orientation, whatever it may be. I don't have those people in my life and I'm a little bit nervous about it. And guess what? That is okay. Just start from there. So then I would say that the next piece is to being open to learning about it. And that doesn't mean that the first step that you're going to take is by going to, you know, a place where there are, there are nothing but people that are, that have that difference that you're nervous about. It Mm -hmm. means that you take reasonable steps towards that. You start doing the work, Mm -hmm. you start, you know, reading and learning and, and perhaps engaging in less threatening ways Mm -hmm. online. You know, it's been amazing for me over the years, how many, um, friendships, alliances, collaborations I've ended up making through being on LinkedIn, for Mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. And it's a really safe way to just kind of connect and start having conversations with people. Um, And it needs to be authentic too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like, okay, do I want a Black friend just for the sake of having a Black friend? Do I want a gay friend just for the sake? Or is it that I genuinely um, have a shared interest um, there's a, there's some common ground that we have there that can build us into a friendship. And mm-hmm. then let's take a look and let's start exploring that. It's a process. It's not something that is just because we wake up one morning and say, gosh, I need to make a change in terms in, in this area. It's not going to happen overnight. It's a, it's a journey more that's some, something that you can spend the rest of your life working on. Sure. You know, I think, and, yeah, I think that, um, even not just in this set of topics and and this issue that um, one deals with is it can apply to a lot of things. I think people, when they're working and looking at themselves and their emotions and their feelings or, you know, or denial around it, looking at what's underneath that, looking at the root of it, where did that start? Where did that behavior begin? And, and, for me, knowing that you don't have to follow that story anymore. That's right. You can acknowledge, you should acknowledge it and know where it came from and know that, as you said, you can start right now. And as one of my classes that I've been taking, that talks about zero, zero, every day is a zero, zero. Okay. So if I didn't do well yesterday or I didn't get something didn't get enough reading in or didn't get a chance to explore something today is a new day to start over and it's okay that's that's right and then also recognizing that everyone may not be with you on that ride on that roller coaster ride Mm -hmm. you might be in that roller coaster car by yourself because of 
any number of life circumstances that you're dealing with. Your family's not mm-hmm. with you on this, your partner, your you know, spouse, whomever, mm-hmm. and that's okay also. You know, you can take the journey on your own and be all right yeah. with, with that. So yeah. um, I I feel I feel that our conversation today I just I'm so grateful and thank you for all that you've shared Uh, and as I said the resources you gave me were fantastic and I will do my best to make sure as I get um, as we post this up in a week or so uh, that I will put resources share with everyone the resource some of the resources that you gave me um, for reading and and otherwise, because I think it's important, uh, people are always looking for that. But I, I hope that this conversation that you and I have had, I hope that it at least helps uh, whoever listens to it. Sometimes I don't know if there's only two people listening or maybe 200, <laughs> I don't really know. Um, I hope it helps them feel that it gives them a place to start, a comfortable place to start. Absolutely. Um, and just a greater understanding, um, even if it's just a little percent for them to help them on this journey of, of well-being, uh, well-being with your community as I started our chat off with and um, to just take a step because it's, this is for me, as I noticed for you, Um, For me, this is such an important conversation each of us should be having in our lives right now, especially with what's gone on this week with the election and, you know, we're still waiting for results and this is a big one for me. This is a really big topic. I I think that it's really important to to, to, um, recognize that all embracing these ideas and these concepts can do is create more richness for mm-hmm. all of us in our lives and greater understanding and appreciation for people who might be coming from a different place than us. Mm-hmm. And if we're never putting ourselves in a situation where we have to acknowledge it, deal with it, learn about it, talk about it, think about it, mm-hmm. then we never really understand that. And, and again, you know, what are we missing? by not having that experience or what types of perhaps not great decisions are we making because we don't have that level of understanding. So just, you know, if we're able to look at it from that perspective, I think that it can be great. This has been an absolute pleasure for me, Marlo. Thank you. I'm so grateful and humbled that you invited me and honored. So thank you so very much. And the last thing I'd like to say is that, um, uh, Please, if you're sharing any information that I shared with you, just um, people are welcome to take a look at my website, uh, which will be launching very soon. And I'll have all kinds of resources that are available there. Perfect, good. And I will um, note, uh, because it's progressivediscoveries.com. Right, www.progressivediscoveries.com. Perfect. So I will Mm -hmm. put that in there. So to everyone, thank you for taking time to listen and share and uh, pass this all along. And I wish you well. I am still incredibly super hopeful. Um, And I, uh, I want everyone to just take some breaths, do some expansive breathing. <laughs> right. And um, 
just move forward with uh, one step at a time with ease and grace and love. And uh, we will chat next time. So peace out, I say today. Peace out. Okay, thank you.